Tallinn, Estonia's capital. On the 27th of April 2007, the city and the country of Estonia awoke to the news that Parliament banks and media outlets have been crippled in a cyber attack. It was an attack that caused... Nation- that was a clip of some of the news coverage that unfolded after a widely publicized cyber attack in Estonia almost a decade ago. In addition to thrusting the country and the issue of cybersecurity into the spotlight, the events that unfolded in Tallinn that year also gave rise to a number of new businesses. One of those businesses is GuardTime, a company that uses the blockchain to provide data authentication at massive scale, independent of centralized trust authorities. Today on the show, I'm talking with Lee Cocking, the SVP of products at GuardTime, about using the blockchain as part of a security solution. Authentication is such an important piece of a security-first strategy, it makes a lot of sense to find a blockchain solution here. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. I'm John Pryor. So, uh, I mean, guard times forming is really uh, due to uh, what happened in uh, in Estonia during the 2000s. And so the, the company was formed in, in 2007 and largely was due to a uh, the response from a, a nation state uh, attack on uh, Estonians, basically government digital infrastructure. And uh, the result of that attack was that uh, a lot of information was corrupted and uh, unfortunately trusted insiders that you know, should have been relied upon to keep information and systems safe were, were corrupted and co-opted, uh, and that led attackers into the system. In the wake of that, uh, and uh, relating to a project to digitize their entire land registry and uh, succession records database, uh, they looked for a technology that could provide uh, long-term digital proof uh, that information hadn't been tampered with. So as a follow-on then, what made um, you think that the blockchain was suitable then for this breadth of security solutions that you guys have developed? Yeah, so that's actually a chicken and egg type of question because when GuardTime started this technology base, uh, which is really a, a spin out from a project within the Estonian government, we weren't calling it blockchain. So underlying or underneath the, the covers, it, it is a chain of cryptographic blocks that, that make up the technology, but we actually call it keyless signature infrastructure. Uh, and so the, the reason for the technology creation and, and I guess the, the analogies with, uh, with blockchain in general are that when you take a look at a specific digital object, whether it's your birth certificate, whether it's a you know, land registry, a title that, that says you own a piece of property, uh, if you want to store that piece of information for a very, very long time, potentially you know uh, decades, uh, centuries, uh, and later prove that that information hasn't been tampered with in any uh, way possible, there isn't really any great existing technology that can do that. So there are some technologies like PKI, uh, digital certificates, and things of that sort uh, that allow you to sign data, but ultimately they become very cumbersome to manage and expensive to manage. Uh, when you want to verify and prove data uh, over long periods of time, so five years plus. So I, I get PKI, right? Pub, you know, public key infrastructure and the concept of personal personal public key and then a private key for decryption. But you're talking further about length of time. Can you do a comparison of how of the kind of the limitations of that in your vision of this long-term storage of data uh, with KSI? Sure. I mean, if you take a look at that traditional PKI, uh, you're often getting, I mean, just look at, at browsers as a quick example. And transmission between your, your browser client and, and backend web servers is uh, secured and encrypted with SSL TLS. 
uh, and that's via traditional public uh, key infrastructure. So it's a, you know, a, a private public key pair. That certificate is typically a one-year cert. And so you're renew- renewing that on a yearly basis. You can pay for longer certs, uh, five or even 10-year, uh, and that starts to get quite pricey. But you don't see people contemplating you know 100-year certs, 500-year certs, and things of that nature. And so when you start to get into this position of how do I, over the long term, over potentially centuries, prove that data hasn't been tampered with or systems haven't been tampered with, um, without going through this this manual process and expensive process of, of leveraging PKI, this is a really great uh, solution. Uh, the other comment I would make is that with PKI, you're, you're still trusting that that somebody's holding onto a private key and they haven't been compromised or that private key hasn't been stolen. But when you think about whether it's KSI or, or any blockchain technology, uh, when you think about binding a digital asset against that blockchain, that proof is now essentially widely witnessed evidence. And so there's there's nothing to, to uh, tamper with or corrupt or no keys to steal. And so it makes it a really viable option for this type of technology. And, and you mentioned about KSI or other blockchain technology. So let, let's do a little bit of news and, and current events. Uh, I'd love to talk about the challenges that uh, was an Ethereum solution was created for this DAO, a distributed autonomous organization. Uh, it was supposed to be a decentralized investment fund. And there was a bit of a crisis and there was money stolen. May, the money may never be spent, but the money has been stolen. My sense is this was like a poorly described or coded contract, but I really appreciate your take on on what, what it was and, and what happened. Yes. I mean, I, I think, the, you know, welcome to the wild, wild west of blockchain, right? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's seriously, it's, uh, you know, we're on the very, very cutting edge and things like the, the DAO that are based on smart contracts and the Ethereum platform are, are really the, the bleeding edge. And you know, the DAO is an interesting one because it, it uh, had massive uh, interest rate from the get-go and generated something like $150 million during their crowdfunding campaign. So, so a couple of clarifications that, you know, it wasn't a hack necessarily. Uh, it was an attack on poorly written contract code. And so for those of you that, that are listening and don't know, a smart contract is, is really just distributed code that runs on, on nodes on a blockchain. And basically, it helps to, I guess you could say, codify the rules of transactions um, and I guess by extension, business processes. And it's meant to be the ultimate arbiter in uh, in transactions that are happening on the blockchain. But but these smart contracts, you know, they uh, are very very new. They're created with relatively new languages that are, are similar to things like like JavaScript and other languages that already exist, but uh, don't have a lot of I guess, security uh, or regulation behind them. Ethereum sits as a layer on top of a blockchain. What's your thought about the variety and differences of, of options that may be there today and what may be presented in the future? Is, is that a good thing to be building these type of layers or should there be apps a la a Bitcoin? What's your sense of what, what's happening on top of the blockchain? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll make the clarification that, you know, there is no one blockchain. There's actually, a, you know, a, a quite a large number of blockchains. Um, you could make the argument that Bitcoin is the original blockchain. Uh, Ethereum is another blockchain, Ripple's another, Hyperledger is another, NXT is another. You know, there's quite a few blockchains in existence and, and, and KSI is, you know, from card time is obviously one of those blockchains. And so I think, you know, there's obviously uh, 
several blockchains, uh, and those tend to be in, in the sort of financial transaction space um, and, and cryptocurrency space that are gaining massive traction, like Bitcoin and, and uh, Ethereum, and, you know, possibly Ripple and, and a few others. However, it, it's really unclear whether those are going to be the winners or the losers. And I think what's what's clear is that there will be a broad selection of blockchain technology as we move forward to address different uh, use cases within the market, whether that be uh, the sort of traditional settlement and transaction use cases that, that Bitcoin is trying to uh, address or, or use cases like what GuardTime is trying to address in terms of uh, network systems and, and data security and integrity at scale. So GuardTime, you, you, you've got systems, networks, and data. Uh, so let's kind of drill a little bit about data, and then we'll do some more about the, the other elements of GuardChain. The, my assumption is people often think about blockchain as a, as a public resource, but it doesn't have to be. So if we end up with a blockchain as a more of a private resource, why is that necessary versus just using a database or, or any other storage mechanism? Yeah, so I think there's a few questions uh, overlaid there, but uh, maybe to, to firstly address the private versus uh, a public blockchain. So if you look at Ethereum or Bitcoin, you know, those are, are public blockchains where anybody can basically transact on those blockchains. But I, I think in terms of adoption within uh, the community at large, especially as we see non-financial use cases, public blockchains are not going to be the, the standard mode of operation. I believe that the private blockchains or permission blockchains, as some like to call them, will be the, the, the blockchains of choice. Because you know, of the types of data and types of transactions that may go on those blockchains, the whole world may not necessarily need to know them. And so, yeah, I may not go as uh, as deep as you know some folks who think that you know for every single individual use case there might be a separate blockchain. But I, I think largely you'll see you know a blockchain that that may be permission just to a particular um, entity uh, or within some type of a consortium to uh, to transact data and and, uh, and make exchanges or store information. I think that that's important so that you know information is protected and privacy is protected because the, the flip side of of blockchain is that you know if you if you put your big brother hat on it could turn into this you know the, the best the best surveillance mechanism that the world's ever seen which is kind of scary so it's interesting i, I like the term i never heard it before commissioned blockchain and that makes more sense to me now that i, I kind of had the a, kind of a wrong view of a private blockchain that's sitting inside a, a single data somewhere it's not that it's private it's that it's not public open to everybody, but there's a series of groups. It's still in the cloud. It's still providing the traditional value that you get out of the blockchain, but it's a limited use set. Is that, is that a fair characterization? Yeah, that, that, that's pretty fair. Okay, so then let's stay on the digital side of things. Um, you know, one of the focus solutions you have are some data protection solutions. Tell me how that works, uh, why this is probably, I'm sure, a lot more significant than just a traditional checksum to make sure the data is right. Uh, yeah, so man, I think uh, I would probably characterize this as uh, as guard time and and keyless signature infrastructure plays in this information assurance space. And so, uh, if you're putting together you know a security program and information assurance program, uh, and you're focusing on data integrity as part of that, uh, KSI fits well there. Um, if you look at sort of the traditional what they call CIA triad: confidentiality, integrity, and availability. We've done a really great job over the last couple of decades uh, in ensuring information is confidential, so it's it's encrypted uh, and, and people can't uh, you know view what what's in that data set. Uh, and then likewise with availability, especially with cloud, in terms of ensuring that that systems are are highly redundant and, and highly scalable worldwide. But we've done actually a really poor job um, with integrity, and uh, I think that's integrity at, at the network level, at the systems level, and at the data level. And so uh, you know, integrity. Uh, 
hasn't been completely absent. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, they, they do have uh, sort of traditional hashes and, and CRCs. Uh, the problem with that is, is that those aren't provable in any uh, way, shape, or form. And so they can still be manipulated uh, you know, at will by any type of trusted insider. And so that the piece that the blockchain brings is that you can tie uh, things like hashes and, and representations of digital assets to the blockchain uh, without having to trust insiders to you know, keep that data safe and protect that data from uh, you know, potential compromise. Got it. So we're, we're back to the birth certificate. It really, it, it truly is that single point. Love it. Uh, so you look holistically across those systems, network, and data. Is it one solution that protects it all? Or does each part need to get looked at uniquely as you build, uh, build things on top of the blockchain for this? Yeah, so I think it's a, a multifaceted um, uh, approach that you need to take. Uh, if you take a look at, at Guard Time it's, uh, itself, we have a, a platform uh, that allows rapid development on top of our blockchain. However, you know, not every customer wants to build their own solution. So, you know, obviously there are a lot of POCs ongoing and, and initiatives ongoing at, at customers to start to play with blockchain technology. Uh, and I think one of the the things that differentiates guard time, uh, apart from some of the differences that, that our blockchain has to, uh, to other blockchains in the market, uh, is that we are actually focusing on uh, on products and solutions built on top of the blockchain. And so across areas like um, audit, uh, archive, uh, um, you know, platform as a service in, in the cloud, uh, and then uh, traceability of data and active protection of data, we're actually building out you know, connectors and products that uh, uh, can provide this capability in, in more of a shrink-wrapped form, uh, but still having that underlying platform that allows extensibility uh, once customers begin to use the, the products. It's interesting. And let's see if I have this right. I just want to understand a little deeper here. You know, blockchain's kind of often thought of as like a distributed ledger, but you're not necessarily capturing every change. Uh, you talk about having a clean slate proof. You build a baseline, and then you're looking to recognize and catch changes as opposed to well, maybe I should just stop right there. It's, it's, it, it seems a bit like a systems ops log, but I think you're much more than that. Is that, is that fair? Uh, yeah. I mean, so if you take the, uh, you know, the very sort of narrow view of, uh, of change detection, um, that, that is an aspect of uh, some of the systems that we're building. Um, but if you actually expand out and take a look at, at the properties of blockchain and, and what you can do, uh, once you've contributed a piece of data to the blockchain or, or representation of that data, uh, it, it means that that data essentially can be proven um, by yourself, by you know, any external auditor, by any other part of your supply or, or distribution chain. Um, and so it starts to overlay areas such as uh, forensics, regulation, clients, and so forth that aren't quite possible with uh, a traditional just change detection mentality. And then what about physical assets? How do they play in this space? Yes, I mean, physical assets are, are a very interesting one. I think there's definitely a lot of uh, proof of concepts around physical assets in the blockchain uh, and people looking at, you know, how do I attach some representation of this physical object and use that as, a, uh, you know, what I contribute to the blockchain and then transact uh, among many parties. But honestly, I think we're, we're still fairly immature in terms of physical supply chain security and, and real world items. I think we guard time ourselves are investigating and researching that, that area, but it's unclear, you know, how much effect that will actually have or, or whether we'll be able to replace existing systems. I, mean, I, I think if you look at, at supply chain in general, especially when you're talking about physical things, pieces, components, chemicals, and so forth. 
Uh, it's a very, very complex supply chain involving many companies, many jurisdictions, many uh, environmental factors and so forth. And I think it's it's naive to think that something like blockchain can come in and just quote unquote solve that. But I, I think over time, we will see on the digital side of that, that fence, we will see blockchain begin to come in uh, and act as the, the central conduit potentially of the data manifest or, or, or physical object manifest that move between uh, multiple parties and help to secure and, and verify the integrity of those transactions to uh, avoid things like fraud or, or mass production of physical items that uh, aren't recorded. That makes sense. Uh, and, and staying a little bit on the physical side, you actually have uh, what you call an anti-tamper hardware solution. How does that fit? Is that is that to prevent some type of future Stuxnet attack? How does that fit in? How does your anti-tamper hardware play work? Yeah, so we have a, a very special team from, from one of the... Uh, uh, I guess assembled from a couple of, of you know, U.S. defense uh, contractors, and so they've been building anti-tamper hardware for very specialized use cases for years. And uh, we have this team for a couple of reasons, and the first reason is actually to to run our own blockchain. And so, if you take a look at something like uh, Bitcoin um, or even Ethereum, their whole model is that they have thousands of essentially anonymous nodes that make up the blockchain and, and run all those transactions. In the case of guard time, we actually take a, a widely different approach. And so we aren't based on uh, on proof of work, which requires all these nodes to do the computations, uh, cryptographic computations. Um, it actually burns up a lot of energy. On, on the flip side, you call us the, the most environmentally friendly blockchain. But, but our architecture means that just a small number of nodes are needed to actually run our blockchain. Uh, and that uh, those nodes must run on a trusted system. And so in order to do so, we built what you could probably argue as the, the strongest anti-tamper software platform, uh, hardware software platform that, that's in the commercial space so that we can run our blockchain on that and ensure that uh, nobody can attack it, whether you have physical access to the box or try to deprocess the processor on the box uh, or whether you're trying to uh, to remotely attack it. So we've really done the landscape of of kind of the this, this solution set, the different piece parts you touch. Let's, let's step up a little bit. So now I'm a CEO. I'm sitting with my executive team. Um, I'm pretty sure I think security is important. So what, what's a CEO to do first? What should a CEO begin to focus on? How should he or she direct uh, a VP of engineering or a CTO in this, in this space? Sure. So I, mean, I think uh, some of the takeaways that, that I would give CEOs um, are, number one, you know, blockchain is real. However, the, the landscape uh, is confusing. But you know, don't let that confusion keep you away from actually doing research. And so I would highly recommend that the CEOs put together a team or a think tank or, or work with their, their CTOs to understand the technology and cut through the noise. I think number two, Solutions that deliver value are starting to appear, and so there's there's a lot of kind of noise in the marketplace and, and a lot of hype. But we are seeing solutions that address real problems, and I think that you know those warrant uh, investigation. And that you know number three, and you made this earlier comment about blockchain does not equal Bitcoin. I would urge CEOs to separate this idea of, of blockchain being Bitcoin because they're, they're two separate things. Uh, and that the blockchain comes in a lot of different flavors and that there are security implications for organizations that blockchain has. And you know, outside of that, we've got use cases for data integrity, data assurance, data interchange, immutable forensics, and, and a wide array of, uh, I think, impactful technology changes that, that are going to come off the back of blockchain for organizations over the next decade. 
And so the skill sets to hire, they should be more wrapped around security and the general issues around security and all the legs of that security stool versus blockchain skills. Where should the, the skills be brought into each company? Yeah, I mean, so I think, you know, finding quote unquote blockchain skills is probably going to be fairly difficult right now. But if I look at the the kinds of skill sets that are going into blockchain companies, you're seeing a lot of cryptographers, mathematicians, distributed database architects, senior systems engineers. But I mean, that's that's more on the technology side. And so you might consult with some of those folks um, as you evaluate the technologies. But I, I think if I'm putting my CEO hat on, what I'm actually looking for is, is what's the business value? And, and can this help me run a, uh, a, a safer organization, run my systems in a more secure way uh, that are exposed to less risk and generally improve my business efficiency or, or bottom line? And so I think that the lens that we should be looking through it from the CEO perspective is, is not necessarily just the pure technology one, which is highly interesting and, and encourage CEOs to dive in, but, but a critical look at uh, where can we see this technology actually you know, helping the efficiencies um, and, and bottom lines in our business. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, one of, we're, we're big believers that, that the companies that can differentiate themselves around the security model, uh, as I said, will differ- differentiate themselves and will help them in the long run. That's great. I've got another question for you. Um, we, we try to conclude uh, with a question that's not quite technology-oriented, uh, but it seems to show up a lot like when you're at home having chat with your friends or whatever. How do you find the right balance in your work and your personal life? That's a, an interesting question. So uh, for, for myself, Guard Time is actually an interesting company. It's uh, fairly widely distributed across uh, a number of different continents and, and locations. And so they don't actually have a, a Canadian office, and, and that means I, I work from home. Uh, and so the, the balance for me is uh, being able to see my kids uh, in between meetings, sitting at my home office. I, you know, I do travel a lot though, and so you know, using communications technologies to uh, to check on on them, Skype and, and FaceTime and so forth, to make sure you know I stay in touch. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think in in general, as you can probably tell, I'm I'm kind of a, a techie at heart. And uh, so this is this is almost not work for me. It's 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 almost just fun, <laughs> um, and particularly being on the cutting edge like this, it's uh, it's just a very very interesting place to be. And so even when I'm I'm not working, quote unquote, I'm still spending a lot of time talking to my friends and, and thinking about uh, uh, where blockchain and other uh, similar technologies can take us in the future. A lucky man, Lee Cocking, guard time. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, John. 